You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of interstate battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a a new truck battery, which by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a rangefinder or one of your children's toys, uh Interstate Batteries not only has those batteries available, if they don't have them, they can order them for you, or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So, Stop in to a local retail store or visit interstatebatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we have a fun episode today. I'm going to be joined by Joel Johnson, and Joel recently wrote an article in the Iowa Sportsman Magazine about things that drive sportsmen insane. And just to give you a little taste of what we're going to be talking about today, this is a very lighthearted conversation about things like mistaking squirrel sounds for deer movement right we've all been there on that bugs animals destroying uh, tree stand cushions forgetting the deer cart or your release or forgetting something at the house things that basically just make us mad and uh, or or really drive us crazy throughout the, uh, the throughout the hunting season now we also get into fishing and we talk about things like um, the the people who think they own the river right? People who fish too close, um, poor boat ramp etiquette and (laughs) things like that. So it's a, it's a fun episode where we kind of get to vent. It's very lighthearted, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a friendly reminder that we're all sportsmen. We all do things a little bit differently. And sometimes you just need a little bit of patience, uh, when enjoying the outdoors, uh, because there are a lot of jackasses out there, quite frankly. So That's what we're going to be talking about today. Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Do me a favor and go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. We talk 
a lot about uh, hunting and fishing and strategy and stuff like that. We talk about conservation. We talk about cool things like state parks within the uh, state of Iowa. But the the strategy, the tactics, that kind of stuff, that those principles can translate borders, you know, into the rest of the Midwestern states. So just because it says Iowa in the title doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you have to be from Iowa to listen to it. So enjoy this upcoming podcast before we get into this podcast though we got to talk about our new partner here at the iowa sportsman and that is quiet cat now if you guys don't know what the quiet cat bike is it is basically a mountain bike this is the dumbed down version of it it is a mountain bike with a motor on it it's an electric motor and they are built for adventures uh, they call them e-bikes right and I've had the opportunity to ride them a couple times out in the mountains of Colorado, and they are straight up fun, first and foremost, but they can offer some benefits to people who have, let's say, like bad knees or bad backs, and they can't walk into, you know, walk down their land like they used to. Uh, It allows people to continue to enjoy the outdoors let's say in their later years or if they have uh, problems walking or or things like that Uh, it's also it's also awesome for people who just want to get away and get deep into whatever property or land they're trying to explore so this bike isn't necessarily for hunters right or fishermen it's for all people who are looking to do some overlanding some camping uh some mountain biking and it just adds a little unique twist to uh what you're doing because you can pedal and a motor will go it's it's called the uh, drive assist and then you can also hit the throttle and it will go on um, a throttle that's on the handle as well and it will take off there too and i'm telling you these things are fun to ride so if you want to find out more information about quiet cat check out quietcat.com and it's spelled q-u-i-e-t-k-a-t.com so uh, go check out all of their uh, electric bikes that they offer and the accessories that go with them and uh, that's the end of this commercial and now let's get into today's i guess we're going to call it the things that uh Things That Drive Sportsmen Crazy episode with Joel Johnson. Three, two, one. All right. On the podcast once again with me today, Mr. Joel Johnson. Joel, how are we doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. How's your summer going so far? Good, good. Um, other than the fact we're in, we're out here uh, in the drought zone in West Central Iowa, we haven't had a measurable rainfall probably since the first week of June, maybe. Man. We are just, we are just terrible dry. Corn, corn leaves curling in and everything. It is, it's really bad. Um, every field you go by, if there's any sandy spots, I mean, it's, it's gone. They're, they're little toothpick, toothpicks sticking up out of the ground at this point. Man, that's horrible. I can remember a handful of years ago, uh, the farms that I do most of my whitetail hunting on really had a horrible year. I mean, it was like, oh, here comes the rain, here comes the rain, and then it went over us and went to the next county. And, uh, and, and you know, eastern Iowa and and southern Iowa have kind of been getting really good rain this year. I mean, there was a time where it didn't rain for like two weeks straight, but other than that, the before and after that, it's been really really good around here and 
I live on the eastern side of the state, so it must just either form or just jump right over you guys then. Yeah, it, it, it builds out west. Usually, you know, by the time these systems hit Omaha, you know, you know which direction they're going to go. But, you know, they've come right at us, and for whatever reason, you know, they either go straight north or straight south. Or they just kind of split and go either direction. Uh, I know Des Moines, you know, they've had flooding and and uh, even Perry and Jefferson, which are only about 30 miles east of us. I mean, they've they've gotten pretty timely rains and gosh, for, for whatever reason, everything's going around us here. We're it's like we're in a bubble. Yeah, has there been any reports or rumors of EHD hitting the deer herd? Not yet, but I suspect um, we may have some. Um, the one nice thing, at least, you know, within about a 50-mile radius, uh, you know, we've got the South Coon, the Middle Coon, and the North Coon drainages. And so there's quite a few creeks throughout this watershed, uh, plus the rivers. Um, so I don't think, you know, they'll be as stressed as some other parts of the state. Um, but, you know, whenever that was, five, ten years ago, when, when the EHD, you know, really kind of hit the news, we did have... Um, quite a bit of dead loss over here so we'll just have to see what happens i was actually out of one of the farms um uh we hunt and i didn't see anything any vultures or smell anything or, or see any carcasses land so i'm sort of cautiously optimistic that we'll we'll dodge the bullet this year yeah that's uh that's one thing we kind of want to not have the conversations about, right? Those, right. the negative impacts of uh, weather like uh, no rain and whatnot. Obviously, the, the farmers are struggling, but the animals are struggling as well. So we're going to talk, right. we're going to have a little bit of a more positive, happy conversation today, real lighthearted. And I, I, you know, I do a lot of podcasts on not only the Iowa Sportsman, but all the other podcasts that I do where we talk about serious things like gear we talk seriously about strategy and you know how to catch fish and and do all these things and and today we're going to put all that to the side and you wrote this article called things that drive sportsmen insane and i definitely wanted to get you on because we talk about things like mistaking squirrels for deer movement and and bugs and just critters that destroy seat cushions and on tree stands and stuff. So I, you know, I, I saw this article and I read through it and I was like, you know what, this is a podcast worthy article. So the first question is, is why this article, what made you come up with this idea? Well, you know, I, I, this one was actually presented to me, uh, by, by uh, Patrick, the, the, the publisher and editor of the magazine. And, you know, I, I've written similar uh, similar formats before where it's just a, you know, sort of not just a, you know, a narrative or, or a story, just, you know, a list of, of items to talk about. Um, and they've gone over pretty well in the past. And so he's like, hey, I got another one for you. Um, not sure where exactly we go with it, but I'm sure you have some examples. For this <laughs> run so uh, that's really where it came from. And, you know, at first, uh, uh you know, I thought it would be really easy and as I was getting into it, you know, five, six, seven, eight. And then, you know, I did have to think about it a little bit more than I thought I would. And then the funny thing was, as I got to towards the end, you know, I really, I actually started getting pretty angry <laughs> thinking about, <laughs> you know, some of these things that really do 
uh, they really do uh, stress me out and, and uh, otherwise can put a damper on things. Yeah, I, uh, I feel you. And I think there's no better way to transition into this uh, episode than to just start kicking things off. And the first one is one that if you're a deer hunter, every single year, I don't care how experienced you are or how much of a novice you are when it comes to deer hunting, mistaking a squirrel for a deer is one of those things where I, I, there's times where, okay, I'll put it this way. Have you ever been watching a deer on trail camera and you know, he's in the area, he's a big buck. He's like, he could be the biggest buck you've ever shot in your life. And all of a sudden, you, you know, your mind starts to wander a little bit and you're not thinking about the hunt as much as you probably should. And then you start hearing the crunch. And before you even turn around and look behind you, in your head, you're like booners coming down the trail and you get amped, right? You, you almost get buck fever without even seeing a deer. And then you turn around and it's a damn squirrel. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you just you just nailed the entire scenario. And, you know, some stands, I find that some, some of my stands are better or worse. Um, you know, it, it invariably, for me, it's, you know, it's later in the fall. You know, it, you don't you don't have much of a do. So I mean, things are extra noisy. Yeah. Um, we've got some you know oaks and and stuff interspersed with some cedars in, in one spot on on one of our farms, and and it's loaded with squirrels, but it's also loaded with with deer. It's just you know one of those places where you'll have four or five trails all intersecting. It, it's like you know grand central station and so you know you're sitting there and, and maybe it's been slow that morning or whatever and, and like you said and it's always you know it's not right out in front of me it's always back in the cedars behind me right and so you know as, as, as it's getting closer and closer <laughs> i'm reaching for my bow and this or that and you know embarrassingly when you know when i first started uh, bow hunting uh, more than 20 years ago uh, I had this happen and, and it had been a long season and, and I was new to the sport and, and uh, hadn't had much success at all. And I remember one time in particular, um, it happened and the squirrel was, you know, he had the audacity really to, to climb the tree right behind me. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, dad, you get up here, buddy. I dare you. And he got up on a limb, you know, 20, 25 yards away and, and not even thinking. You know, I reach back and, and I take a shot at him. You know, squirrel season was open. And so I didn't even think, you know, what would happen if I missed. But sure enough, you know, I missed. Stuck that, you know, at that time is probably between the arrow and broadhead and, and everything. Probably about a 6 or $7 arrow. Stuck it in a tree, you know, 50 feet up off the ground. You know, never to be a seeing, you know, never be seen again. So I should have learned my lesson at that point. But, uh, you know. I've shot, tried shooting them at them on, on the ground too. And, you know, dinged up a, a broadhead to the point where I can't use it anymore. But man, that, that can just, it can really drive you crazy. And meanwhile, that squirrel just looks back at you and is la on the inside. He's lapping at you. And then he goes back to his oh, nest yeah. and he tells all his buddies that there's this really horrible hunter out there <laughs> going, uh, trying to kill us. And, but well, Hey, oh, yeah. um, I'll tell you what, I had a really, this is going to sound, uh, you know, a bit twisted, but, um, I had a, a group of squirrels one day and I, I was chasing this 180 inch, um, 180 inch typical, 
I think he was a 12-pointer, just an absolute magnum of a, of a buck. And I'm sitting on this ridge. I got trail cameras, uh, pictures of him coming down this trail, and I'm waiting, and it all just all day long, it's just squirrels running around. And for the most part, you get used to it, and you know that it's squirrels jumping, right? Because they sound a little bit different. And then I'm just like, I wish these squirrels would shut up. I just, you know, I wish these squirrels would sh- shut up. And here comes a group of does that work their way through. And I'm like, God, this buck's got to be right behind him. He's, he's every day, you know, he's coming through this trail and nothing happens. Right. And I'm just like, it's the squirrel's fault. They're making too much noise. Right. Like, the, like it's actually the deer, uh, the squirrel's fault that this deer didn't come through. But I watched the squirrel, cl- uh, climb up the tree and come out on a limb and he had his back to me and the sun was coming down and I'm sitting with my back uh, to the tree. I'm watching the squirrel just kind of chew on a nut or whatever he was doing. And all of a sudden I heard come right by my right side and it was an owl and it just like without like the perfect without having to flap his wings once he just put one arm down, grabbed that squirrel by the head, and took off without any sound. Nice. Or and that, I was like, "Ha ha, <laughs> like, got it!" Like <laughs> I, I just, yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah, and I don't know about you. I'd love to get your your take on this, but you know, during the day in the bright in the daylight, you know, they make a ton of noise, and you kind of know it's a squirrel. But something right when they get out of the tree in the morning. And right as the sun goes down and they're still on the ground, it sounds almost identical. They slow down and it sounds identical to a deer just crunching its way through yep. the timber. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, I've, I don't know if it's just where we're at or, or, or if it's normal. I don't recall squirrel hunting, you know, with them being up as early as it seems like, you know, I'll get in the bow stand half hour before, you know, before even shooting light, you know, a half hour before, a half hour before sunrise and, and they're already moving and man, it just, it's, uh, and when you don't get a chance to see them, uh, then, you know, for sure, you know, at least in your mind, you're thinking for sure, well, there he goes, you know, there goes that buck you're after and, <laughs> and you know, never to be seen again. Uh, so yeah, they, they, uh, between that and, and like you mentioned earlier, between that and chewing up your seats. And, yeah cutting off your 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 pull rope and and everything else they they are uh they are a scourge for sure yeah yeah there's some choice words we could probably call them but uh we'll keep it pg (laughs) right (laughs) so so the next thing um is that i want to talk about is this title it says forgetting the deer cart or sled but what i want to do is i kind of want to just straight up embody all of it and talk about for getting stuff that you need to hunt yep. and yep. what of all the things that you forget in the truck or back at the garage or wherever, you know, wherever you're going to leave your gear, what is one thing that pisses you off the most when it comes to forgetting that one thing? Uh, for me, it's going to be a tie. It's either going to be my, my release aid or, or the cart, like I written the story. One or the other. I could pretty much do without everything else. You know, my, my, my arrows and broadheads are always, you know, my quiver attached to the bow. So, you know, that's not something I'm going to forget. Um, 
the man that release i've even packed extras and, and usually always have an extra in my bag and i've still somehow forgotten that uh, so i'd say probably the, definitely the release aid first you know with a you know uh some way to get the deer out of the out of the woods as, as a close number two yeah man i'll tell you what uh, i i in the past have forgotten my release so many times that I went and bought another release just to keep in my bag at all times mm-hmm. because I don't know if I'm dense or, or what the, what the problem is, but yeah, you nailed it, man. That, that release to the point now where I put it on like a piece of clothing and I just have it on my wrist while I'm driving to the, to the, uh, farm and it's on the whole time. I know it's there because I'm looking at it right the whole time. Yep. <laughs> and I've had. Well, and the, go ahead. The worst part for me is, you know, I when I I learned shooting, uh, I, I learned to shoot with fingers. You know, I, I bought my first compound bow in the late '90s, and and I learned how to shoot with with fingers at the tab. And so, you know, and I I, I got pretty good at it. You know, I wasn't shooting 300s by any means, but I mean, uh, you know, at 20 yards. I could lay four or five arrows, you know, within a saucer for sure. But man, once you, you start using that release and, and, you know, you're, you're touching shafts or knocking knocks off and, you know, got to be careful with practice. So, you know, you're not hitting the same target, you know, you know, then you start adjusting, right. You shorten, shorten your string. Uh, Cause when you're pulling fingers, you know, you're pulling clear back, you know, behind the jaw. But when you're shooting fingers, at least the way I'm set up, you know, that string is really, um, at full draw, it's really just tickling the tip of my nose. And so if you forget it and your bow's not set up for it, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's not going to work. Yeah. There's no hail Mary that's going to come out of that bow. That's going to land where you want it to. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you a, a quick little story about forgetting something at the truck. Right. So it was like five years ago. All right, and I had a two-year-old and a newborn at the house, right? And it's the rut, and I'm down an hour away at doing my rut vacation, right? My wife comes through, or my, my wife is at home with our two kids at the time. I'm down there, you know, morning, evening, grinding it out, hunting as hard as possible, trying to get it done, and she, she gives me a call, and she's like, you know, it's the call. The call is, when are you going to be home? Well, it's mm-hmm. only, you know, it's only day three and I have until, you know, five days from now to do it. Well, you got kids, you know, so, you know, we, we get, we get into an argument, we get into a fight and it was a pretty heated argument <laughs> to the point where my mind is so frustrated and scatterbrained that I get in my truck, I drive to the farm, I get dressed, start walking to the tree stand and I don't have my bow with me. So, <laughs> and, and now, and now I'm furious. Like I'm blaming that on my wife and I'm just, I am a, a little kid kicking dirt and stuff. So what do I do? Mm-hmm. I go back. I got to walk back to the truck. I got to drive all the way back to the uh, farm that I stay at and get my bow and come back and all the way. And this is not a joke. As I'm cresting the hill to drop down into the tree stand, the shooter that I was after, like a 150-inch 10-pointer, was standing right 
there looks right up at me like, Hey man, you should have been here 10 minutes. You know, you should have been here uh, an hour earlier and you would have killed me. And I was just yep. like on the inside, man. And I, that I needed to take it like a little break after that day. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, and I've done something similar, uh, muzzleloader hunting and in, um, the issue really was I was shooting a, a night rifle at the time. Um, and you had to have those little plastic jackets and you had to put the, the primer inside of the jacket. Um, and, and, you know, it was, I have two farms I hunt mostly. One's about 10 minutes from the house. One's about 35 minutes from the house one way. And so sure enough, I, you know, I got all the way down uh, by Guthrie center and I had my primers, had my rifle, had my bullets. Uh, but I didn't have any of my red plastic jackets to put my primers in, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, it was one of the deals I was in a hurry. Usually I would, I would preload, you know, a dozen of these things, um, you know, for practice and for the rest of the season, for whatever reason, I didn't have them. I didn't, I didn't preload them and I to make, you know, add insult to injury. I didn't even have them with me. And so there I'm sitting there and I've got this rifle, I've got these bullets. I'm ready to go, except for, you know, this stupid piece of plastic, you know, to stick the primer. So, you know, by the time I would have gotten home and tried to turn around and get back, you know, it would have been ruined. And so I more or less had the, the walk of shame or drive of shame uh, all the way back home. And, and that was it. And, man, I, I bought a different muzzleloader soon afterwards just because, you know, it's 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 kind of like that, that whole, you know, the things that you have to count on, right? So whether it's, you know, people don't use mechanicals because they could fail or people don't use night or other rifles. If, if you can't, you know, if you have some kind of dependency on some other technology, uh, you know, I, the next muzzleloader I bought just the CVA open breach, you, you crack it open, you stick a primer in there, you're done. And so, um, man, that, that, I, that still burns in my head. Uh, uh, it just drives me crazy. For sure. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about, uh, shooting lanes what pisses you off about shooting lanes both ends of it not not wide enough or too small um you know and and what you know what makes it worse about this one uh, my brother uh bow hunts with me and you know we get I, I i'll go out i don't even know how many days a year you know as many as it takes let's just say that and you know he's a he's a doctor in Des Moines, and you know he's super super busy. But we always get together during the rut, and so you know I always try to have everything set up. You know he'll help me hang stands or whatever in July and August. Uh, but then I'll go back, um, kind of do the final uh, fine adjustment, you know, to shooting lanes and stuff. And and uh, there's been times where I've missed a limb, and it's cost him a nice deer. Or, or, uh, you know, cause he couldn't get a shot off or he took a shot and there was a limb in the way that I didn't think about. So, uh, I'm, I'm less hard on myself about, uh, doing that. Um, but I have done it to him a couple of times and, and, uh, you know, that's what, that's what really bugs me is, you know, you got a guy that gets, you know, three or four days a year, uh, to go and then, you know, and then have something just, uh, you know, something careless like that happen. Um, for, for, I'd say in, in most of my examples, it's been, um, not cutting enough stuff out, stuff out of the way versus, you know, cutting too much. 
Yeah. So for the most part, I'm real mobile, right? I, I do a lot of running, gunning, tearing up, setting down, trying to find, you know, go to where the deer are at, find the, the, the fresh sign and whatnot. But I do have a couple tree stands that are historically good rut tree stands. So I keep those up most of the year, you know, and then, you know, if I need to, when I go and check them, uh, probably August or September before the season starts, I'll go check them and then I will trim any, any lanes that are necessary. Well, I did that. And then I think it was 2016 or 2017. I can't remember. Here comes walking through this bedding area, the second biggest eight pointer I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's coming down this, this trail. He's going to give me a 25 perfectly broadside shot. And here he comes. He's following this doe and he's broadside 25 yards. I draw back. He's just got his nose to the ground. Like he's relaxed. I settle in, let the arrow go. And about halfway the arrow hits something. And I didn't know what happened. And the I just start seeing my fletchings way out to the side and my arrow starts flipping over itself and, and lands, I don't know, 20 feet from him. And there was this really small branch that came out and I didn't catch it. So I would say like, uh, I mean, he was a huge eight pointer and I lost, I, I, I didn't, I guess focus enough or it grew between when I trimmed it in August or September to, you know, early November. And it cost me uh, one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in, in my life. Mm. That'll make you uh, stay up a few nights. You, uh, oh yeah. Sleepless nights for sure. That and for it sure. now, and then it makes me go overboard uh, trimming certain shooting, shooting lanes to the point where you could probably land a Boeing right down some of these shooting lanes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, uh, well, I, I had one similar to that. It, it was a doe, fortunately. Um, but I, I had, you know, it was small, like a, it was like a rose bush or something. Um, you know, and I thought she was past it and, you know, in, you know, dusk or, or, or pre-dawn, you know, you don't see some of those little things unless there's snow on the ground for contrast, you know, and I, I had, had, I had something really similar. Just a, it was just a chip shot. I mean, like 15 yards and I was, I mean, this, I, I, I was already, you know, skinning this deer in my mind when I released the arrow and it hit the bottom side of a rose bush limb and deflected down. And all I ended up doing was giving her, uh, you know, a clean close shave on her brisket and, uh, you know, picking mud out of my broadhead, uh, you know, a few hours later, it was just a big pile of white fur and not a, not a single drop of blood, nothing. All right, I got to ask you a serious question here. Have you ever shot a doe because she was blowing at you? Like you weren't going to shoot her, and then all of a sudden she just starts stomping her feet and blowing, and you give her opportunities to go away, but she still sits there and blows and stomps. And then for me, it was just like, hey, please go. You're going to get turned into my food if you don't if you don't leave. <laughs> and so I, I, I walked out of the timber that night with a – you know, to fill, fill the freezer, of course, but she had plenty of opportunity to just keep moving. I, I can say I, I've never done that, but, but on the flip side, um, when that happens, you know, 
somehow I, I the farm I had, it's typically, you know, I'll have the same kind of family groups come through really consistently, really consistently on my trail cameras or, or when I'm hunting. And so I get really familiar with, you know, the big old nanny does. There's usually, you know, out of the whole herd, it seems like there's usually two or three does that are probably, you know, these, these four or five year old or older matriarchs, you know, they're always first in line. They've always got, you know, yearlings and fawns and in, in spikes and, you know, people that they haven't bow hunted or, or, or deer hunted much at all. They think the bucks are kind of the, the ruling class and, you know, they're not, you know, you see these big matriarchs out there and, and they run the show, they run the coyotes off. They, they are the magnums and, you know, I've seen them. And when they, when they pull those shenanigans with me, you know, I may not shoot them that day, but in the back of my mind, you know, the very, very next opportunity, unless there's a buck somewhere nearby, you know, if she gives me a shot, she's going down. Uh, sweetheart, you just made my hit list. So, yep, yep. <laughs> All right. You so know, I should have added that. I, I, did I have that on that list? I should, if I didn't, I should have had that on my list. Uh, you know, I should have thrown in something around matriarch does or something, man, because short of me just being careless and, and making my own mistakes, they just nothing nothing will ruin a bow hunt faster than one of these crazy bleeping does yep. you know they can see you or smell you from a hundred yards upwind downhill you know with a tree in the way yeah you just don't have a chance and some of these deer just blow at nothing it's like uh, yep. an acorn fell out of the tree well i'm gonna blow at it yep so yep all right, so I want to hear your take on this because I got a I got a story that I personally think is hilarious, uh, but poorly trained bird dogs. Oh boy! Oof. I'll tell you uh, now. Uh, before I start, I'll say the last. Let's see, my my dog. I retired him a couple of years ago. He'll be ten. So, in the last. Uh, 10 to 12 years um i've got i've been fortunate i get a bunch uh but there's about six or seven of us that have you know we've been buddies and been you know we get together at least a couple times a year we have been since you know late 90s when we were in school and so uh the last 10 to i'll say 10 to 12 years 15 be a little too generous last 10 to 12 years we've been you know we've been really fortunate i had a, a golden retriever that was that was really a, a really solid um, hunting dog. And, and uh, my best friends had a couple um, yellow labs that have been just, you know, really solid dogs. You know, they don't have the, the, the grace and the elegance of some of these dogs you see on TV, but, you know, they are, they are your, you know, day in, day out, get the job done, you know, hunt two, three, four days straight, you know, and, and collapse at the end of the day kind of dogs. And so I'll say, you know, We've had the best of times the last 10 to 12 years, but prior to that, it was the worst of times. Um, nobody knew how to train a dog. Nobody, nobody had trained a dog. Um, so we had, you know, from, you know, some guy's farm dog that, you know, had never been trained that, that was a pointer by breed. Uh, you know, that thing would, we, we would take her out just because we didn't have anything else. We figured it'd be better than nothing, but, you know, you get out on a 120 acre, you know, patch of the nastiest 
tanglefoot switchgrass mess, you know, and, and it never failed. You know, we're, we're, we're past the point of no return, right? Uh, we're, we're more than, more than a third of the way through and that dog is, is all the way to the end of the field. You know, all the birds are flying out the end and, you know, that, that scenario repeated itself so many times, you know, for, from over about a 10, 10 to 15 year span, it just, it was horrible. Um, and so it's like, you, you know, do you take the risk of going out and walking all day and not see anything because you don't have a dog or do you take a terrible dog that's going to scare everything? At least, at least you'll see what was in the field. And so <laughs> it's awful. I mean, uh, and like you said in the article, no joke. Um, the dog was a buddy's farm dog, but you know, it's sort of his dad's dog, but it had never been trained. And so we would take turns each day you know, who, who's going to yell at Sandy today? Well, well, okay. Uh, you know, so, you know, if you drew, drew the short straw, you know, you were going to have a sore throat and a headache by the end of the day from yelling at that dumb dog. <laughs> I, I'm laughing at, at dogs because obviously you can train a dog to do whatever, whatever you want it to do, but it's still a dog. Right. So I went to college with a, uh, a guy and, it, I was like my junior year in college. I was at the University of Northern Iowa, and this I met this guy at a party, and he starts talking about his bird dog. Well, you know, you just keep hanging out with people that you, you like in college, and every time I was around this guy, he talked about his bird dog and how his dad and him had trained this dog, and it was like the best dog, and just, you know, all he talked about was this, this dog and it was, it would win. He's like, and if I wanted to, I could win awards with it and whatever. And so one, most of my family's from up in the, the Parkersburg, uh, Applington, Iowa area. And so I stayed up there instead of going back home, I stayed up there and I just waited to go to my uh, grandma's house in Parkersburg for Thanksgiving. So we went on a pheasant hunt because this guy lived in the area. He got brought his dog and he's like, all right, you, you ready to, he was bragging about this dog, man. He gets this dog out of the truck. It just kind of chills around the truck F for a while. We're loading our guns, put our blaze orange on and we start, we start going. He, and he says like, all right, time to work. That dog's, that dog looks at him and just hauls ass. And I mean, he doesn't stop until he's over the horizon. And I look at him, I'm like, is he supposed to do that? Cause I didn't know anything about dogs. He's like, no. So he starts yelling and yelling. This is no joke. It took him 10 days to find that dog. Oh my God. So I, I just, I just sat there and laughed at his expense. He was so pissed off that that dog, oh, yeah. it just took off. And it, I don't know what, what, what or why, but he just was like, I'm going to go for a run and not stop. Like <laughs> I'm done being a bird dog. Right. So, I got a good kick out of that, and we gave him crap about that every time I, you know, every time oh, we yeah. hung out after that. So, yeah, I, I've seen that happen. I've never had one get lost for that long. I, you know, my first, my first golden retriever, um, and this is one hundred. Like I said in the piece, I this, you know, it was one hundred percent my fault. You know, I had not put the time into training him. Uh, I knew he was a little bit gun shy, uh, but he had a good nose he would retrieve he would do everything you know the book told me he should do the man he he 
got gun shy um, and it was ridiculous. And so, you know, we took, but I, but I thought it was manageable still, you know? <laughs> so we went out, you know, we went on bird hunt and, you know, he was, he was working great. You know, he's about 15 yards out, you know, working into the wind and, and, you know, working the back trail, blah, blah, blah. And he flushes a rooster and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Oh my God, you know, he finally put it all together and the shooting starts. We down the bird. I'm hollering at him to fetch, but, uh, you know, the dog is gone and, you know, the parts unknown. And, and, you know, I was like, yeah, well, we'll, you know, it was a small piece. It was only like 30 or 40 acres. I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll find him here eventually, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, you know, we got to the end of it and, and, uh, we were, we had to walk back anyway, cause we couldn't put a vehicle at the other end. And so I'm like, geez, you know, I thought for sure he'd be down here at the end or somewhere. Uh, so I started getting a little worried. Uh, cause I, you know, if I came home without the dog, my wife would have killed me. Um, and so, you know, we're about halfway back on our way back to the trucks and I'm like, we still haven't seen him. And so I'm like, Holy shit, excuse me. Uh, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Uh, this dog is gone, yeah. you know, it, out of thin air. And so I'm really starting to get worried. So, you know, I had read somewhere, you know, if that happens, whether it's a coon dog or bird dog or whatever, uh, you know, throw a piece of clothing, a coat or jacket or something down in a, in a spot in the field where, you know, you can come back to it and find it. And, you know, sometimes those, those dogs will, will find that as they're wandering and, and they'll just lay down there and, and wait. So I do that and, you know, I didn't have high hopes, but, so we get out of the switchgrass, we get to the pickup, and sure enough, there's my dog. It's It had somehow, I mean, this is a golden retriever. He was big, too. He's a 90, 90-pound golden retriever. Somehow, he was so freaked out, he had run all the way back to the pickup. And the tailgate was up, but somehow he had cleared the tailgate. Or actually, it was the, the rear quarter panel because I had to pay to have it buffed out. Uh, he had somehow cleared that quarter panel and jumped into the back of that pickup. Uh, it was just sitting there smiling at us like, where have you guys been? Um, <laughs> so it, uh, it's, uh, we've had, we've had too many stories to count along around bird dogs, uh, you know, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nuts, man. So fishing, right? There, you have a, a couple of these categories in this article about fishing, and I'm I'm I like to fish, but I'm not so avid where I'm around boat ramps and lakes and rivers all the time. Like uh, let's say someone like my father-in-law is, and one one thing that uh, uh, I've noticed whenever I go fishing with my my father-in-law is the amount of man how do i say this i'm just going to say it jackasses that there are that congregate around boat landings and have boats on the river and i always put it this way the one thing that always drives me insane is the people who think that they own the river mhm right? They own the public land to hunt on those people. I've been fishing here for seven, you know, 35 years and, and, and I've never seen you here. And just like, Whoa, dude, 
I don't care. Yeah. Like, no, like that drives me crazy. And, and I've learned it's best to just kind of distance yourself from those people. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, uh, it's public water, right? Right. You know, it's, it, it's, you know, if you're in a creek and it's run through property and you're waiting, sure. I'm trespassing. I'll get the heck out of here. Sorry. Um, but Hey, it's, you know, that's, that's one nice thing about, about fishing is, you know, uh, you know, there is all, there's almost limitless opportunities to fish in the state because, you know, 90% of the water is, is uh, public, right? Whether right. you're Red Rock or, or wherever. And, um, you know, along those lines, like, like I mentioned in the story, you know, if somebody's sitting there catching fish and we can see that they're catching fish, I am, would never, ever, you know, go up and crowd them and, you know, God forbid, throw, throw a line over the side right next to them. I just wouldn't do that. Right. Um, you know, that, that used to really make my dad mad when we, when we'd be fishing and, and when we were kids, it was all on the bank. Right. So, um, it never failed. You know, we would be, you know, on the Wayne river or below the dam at Sailorville or Red Rock or somewhere. And we might be catching catfish. Who knows what we were catching? We were catching something. And pretty soon, you know, people upstream or downstream, you know, they, they Creeping just in. getting closer and closer <laughs> and closer. Oh, he gets so mad. It was just, uh, you know, so, you know, I guess that's how I learned to fish in what not to do. And, you know, in, in the boat, it's, it's really no different, but my goodness, if, if, if you've ever been, uh, up to Minnesota, uh, you know, when the walleyes are biting on the river and the lakes, uh, literally, I mean, you can, you can walk across the bow of the boat to get across the river. And, and it's just, it's so foreign to me. Um, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, we ended up buying my father-in-law a shirt that said, if you're reading this, you're fishing too close. <laughs> I've seen that. Right on his, right on his back because he, he's, he's told me some crazy stories about up on the Mississippi River where he fishes and he's like, he's been fishing uh, certain pools of the, of the Mississippi now for like 45 years, right? And he's telling me all these crazy stories and it's you know so we're we're taking my my youngest kids out fishing and my son catches this bass on a crankbait it's the first time he's ever uh he didn't cast it but he was reeling it in catches this bass and he's reeling it in he's just getting excited i'm getting excited and and uh, there's a boat coming by on the back side of us and my father-in-law's like you keep that fish in the water keep that pole down keep that pole down. And and we're like, what? No, he just caught this fish. Keep it down. And he lets the boat go by. And he's like, we can't let anybody know where we're fishing here because they're going to come creep in. And I didn't think anything of it. Right. Like, okay, well that would be rude if someone would Mm -hmm. move in. But I went fishing with him another time and I brought a fish up and another boat saw me and I'm not joking. He moved. I could have hit him with my cast. They were fishing Mm -hmm. so close. And so, man, there is, there is like, I know there's, it's unwritten rule and it's everybody's property, but there's got to be some kind of etiquette that needs to be trained in some kind of class where it's like, Hey man, if you see a guy fishing, you know, catching fish, maybe don't cast over his lines. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. thought, and well, that, I, I've got, I got one slightly better for you. Okay. It just happened to us either last summer or the summer before. 
and I'm going to name the lake just because um, I was so mad when the after this happened, we actually packed up and left because. Uh, <laughs> so so anyway, we were at Meadow Lake, which is a small public lake uh, down uh, by Green by Greenfield, just north of Greenfield, um, you know, southwest Iowa, and uh, so my wife, my two daughters, and I um, are fishing a drop off um, just off you know the edge of the dam casting our our uh slip bobbers you know towards the bank and then you know reeling them back to the boat till we hit the drop off and so between our bobbers and the shore was you know probably 10 feet um the boat was probably i was probably 20 25 feet off the bank and you know we're sitting there and and we're on we're even on anchor if i recall and and this this uh bass boat um you know we see them coming down the face of the dam and clearly they're bass fishing you know two guys or three there's three guys two guys are in the front cast in and one guy kind of run the motor you know i see them get closer and get closer and and uh you know my wife is is just a, a wonderful soul and, and very patient person but when we're on the boat you know she might get set off before me as far as you know, crowding and this and that. She's like, I wonder if they're going to get any closer, you know, and, and they keep getting closer. And these guys are, you know, they're my age or older. I'm, you know, 45 years old. And so, uh, and they keep getting closer and literally without a look, without an apology, without anything, they troll their boat right between our slip bobbers. You know, I've got two young girls in the boat with me, you know, we're a family sitting there trying to fish. They literally trolled their boat between our bobbers in the bank. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not the, the confrontation guy that, you know, I don't remember said something we figured was loud enough for them to hear it. Uh, but you know, my daughter's with me, so we're not going to make a huge scene. Um, but they just, you know, kept on going, you know, worked in the bank. And the next point, like nothing happened. And so I'm like, you know, my wife's like, just calm down. We'll go hit another spot. So we go, and like I said, it's not a big lake, like 50, 60 acres. So we go clear to the south end where there's some brush piles. And tie, we, I should tie my boat off to a brush pile, and we're sitting there with our bobbers again. We catch a couple nice bluegills. And I'm not kidding you, Dan. These guys come around the bend. And they literally tie their boat off on the other side of this brush pile, probably 10 feet away from us, after the stunt they had just pulled. And, uh, you know, if I could walk on water, uh, you know, <laughs> things might have been different. But, you know, what? I was just like, real men, we're out of here. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, you know, we went, we took the boat, we got out of there, and we went uh we went down to uh, to Greenfield and hit Greenfield Lake and, and really had a, a, a nice a nice day. But that was that was probably the most blatant <laughs> and worst experience I've ever seen. And these, you know, it'd be different if they were kids or teenagers just being, you know, jackassing around. But these guys, it was as if it, you know, as if we were not uh, even there. You know, yeah, it, it was incredible. <laughs> so. Oh now, man! I named the lake on purpose because I'm, you know, maybe those guys will hear this and, yeah. and, and feel like they get called out. <laughs> my my father-in-law is kind of a prick, so I'm dude. He would have he would have been furious 
to the point where he probably would have been casting treble hooks across their bow trying to <laughs> trying to get him. <laughs> so yeah. yeah oh man i tell you what it, it takes all kinds and and uh, the the cool thing i like about this article is you know this is almost a vent right we can sit here and we can vent about things that piss us off but at the end of the day being a sportsman is about uh, i'll let you tell it i mean talk to us about the follow-up about this article sure you know as much as these things drive me crazy you know uh, at the end of the day, I try to always be nice, you know, whether, whether, you know, you're out hunting or, you know, you're on a, on a lake and, and something like I just described happened. I just, you know, I try to always take the high road, um, uh, and because it's not worth it. Right. I mean, yeah. is it worth getting in a fifth fight or, or, or falling <laughs> in the lake or drowning or, you know, or, or if you're hunting, getting, getting threatened with a gun or shot at or chased at, you know, it's just not worth it. There's nothing, there's no, there's no buck that is big enough in the woods or fish that's big enough in the water that is worth, you know, getting violent with another person, you know, tearing them up on, on, on social media, you know, being, you know, cause then you're just as bad as they are. Right. Right. So, I mean, if, if folks can just exercise a little patience, um, when you can, uh, you know, respectfully kind of tell people uh, what they did wrong or, or what the problem is, especially, you know, we didn't talk about it specifically, but especially on, you know, boat ramps and you're putting boats in or taking yep. boats out, uh, yep. you know, you never know, you know, maybe it's the first time a person's ever put a boat in or first time they've ever taken one out. But if, you know, if it's, uh, if they're willing to take, uh, you know, some constructive criticism so to speak if if you're not screaming and yelling at them just say hey you know you know yeah and it'd be nice and, really you is, know is the mantra and and maybe july 4th weekend isn't the weekend to practice backing your boat into right <laughs> But and I'll tell you on the other end of some of the other stuff that we talked with. One thing that I've really had to, uh, you know, whether I run into someone who's who messes up a hunt, or I mess up my hunt, or you know, I forget something at my truck and I got to go all the way back and it, it ruins something for me. I try really hard not to take that back home with me because right. my family does not care if I ruined my own hunt, right? And it's mm-hmm. not their fault, and I'm not. It's unfair to to them, so I gotta you know leave all that crap. And hunting's supposed to be fun, right? So you got to show them that it's fun and mistakes happen and and all that stuff. So, Joel, man, yep, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and chat with us and, and do this uh, episode. No, I appreciate you having me. That was, that was fun, and and I uh, really feel like uh, uh, you know you lowered my blood pressure. You know, reading this article <laughs> every time I read it, I think I get a little. A little more mild, and and, uh, next time, uh, maybe uh, some of these things won't bother me so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, good luck the rest of the summer, man. You too, Dan. Take care, bud. And there you have it, guys and gals. Another episode in the books. Huge shout-out to Joel for taking time out of his day to hop on and chat with us today. Huge shout-out to all of you for taking time out of your day to follow along the Iowa Sportsman podcast and uh, listen Please go to the Iowa Sportsman website, iowasportsman.com. Please go to the Iowa Sportsman Facebook page. Follow along there. Please subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman 
uh, podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman Magazine. And that's uh, you can do that by going to the Iowa Sportsman website. So uh, tons of great content in there. I like reading uh, a lot of the articles that come out of there. And if anything, for just a refresher of whether I'm going to go to, uh, you know, uh, fishing or if I want to try to use a topwater lure, if I'm going to go duck hunting, they cover it all. So enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the weekend. Get outside. Go do something fun. And we'll talk to you next week.